get back to the latest on the invasion of Ukraine. A meeting between Ukrainian and Russian officials breaking off after some six hours earlier today with Ukrainian officials saying that they are hopeful for future meetings in the not-too-distant future. Irvin Studden is editor-in-chief of Global Brief Magazine and president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions and joins us now for more on the very latest. Irvin, good afternoon. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. Pleasure. First off, just uh, how hopeful should we all be about this uh, meeting today between uh, Ukrainian and Russian officials? Are you holding out much hope? Not yet. It's important that they speak. So I think uh, in that part of the world, they know how to fight, but they also keep an open hand for discussions. Uh, it's important on our side in the West also to keep an uh, open hand on discussions to, with both Ukraine and Russia to, to help resolve the conflict. So they will continue to negotiate, I think, sporadically based on the balance of forces on the ground. The, the more the Ukrainians hold out, and they're doing so uh, forcefully and heroically, there's a chance for uh, a better deal in their favor. And the opposite is true if, if, the, uh, if the conflict ends quickly. Does the timing of the next meeting, would that tell us anything if it happens sooner rather than later in the next uh, day or two? Would that maybe suggest that there's, I know, some common ground and some sort of negotiated settlement that could be found here? I don't think so. I think uh, both sides have an idea of what a negotiated settlement would look like. They will be disparate ideas, but everything will depend on the balance of forces. So the next week is key. If uh, Ukraine is able to, to hold out, then it will force uh, Russia into accelerating a, a settlement because things can get quite painful on the home front for the Russians. The reverse is true. If, if the Ukrainians collapse in major cities, and in Kiev in particular, then the Russians will, will force a settlement that is almost entirely along, on Russian terms. Speak about uh, pain being felt amongst those in Russia. We were speaking about that uh, last hour and just wanted your take on just how impactful do you think these uh, latest rounds of uh, sanctions, particularly uh, when it comes to the SWIFT banking system on Russia, do you think that that's the most impactful sanction to date and uh, will it work? I think all the sanctions will be very painful for Russia. So the Russian leadership, I presume, will have taken a lot of these sanctions into account at the front end of their calculation. So it's more or less baked in or discounted into their decision-making. Of course, when something hits the fan, then then one realizes uh, whether, whether one calculated correctly. I think the reverse could happen. The Russians, while feeling pain, could, at the leadership level, escalate the conflict in order to force uh, a, a settlement. There is also, I think... Uh, an underappreciated opening that Russia still has to Asia, to countries like India and China, Southeast Asia, the Middle East and Africa. So they're not completely closed off, but it is very painful. Now, the Russia, Russia is a very big country, so if it begins to collapse, it collapses hugely. On the other hand, at the leadership level, they become quite adept at improvising. So oh, we do not know exactly what's happening within the Russian system, and I suspect the Russian leadership itself doesn't appreciate exactly what's happening within their system. Yeah, but uh, when it comes to these uh, sanctions, uh, are they uh, targeting uh, the right people, and in particular the uh, Russian oligarchs? Is that uh, where these sanctions need to hit and hit the hardest, do you think, in order for uh, Vladimir Putin to move here? I think that's an important part from the Western perspective, but I think I've argued 
argued even before this conflict erupted, um, but since 2014, and particularly now that the settlement should be led um, by a third continent that is outside of NATO, outside of the former Soviet space, what's called the CSTO. It should be a neutral continent, and that can only be Asia. So senior senior and leading Asian countries that are respected in both Kiev and Moscow have a a major role to play in brokering a resolution that is more favorable to both Ukraine and Russia rather than a a zero-sum game. And here I'm talking about Israel, I believe on the CBC, The National, I said uh, two or three days ago that Israel could be a senior player in mediating between Kiev and Moscow. They have great networks between the two countries and have good analytics. They have a huge Russian-speaking population. So Israel actually recently suggested that as well. Uh, Then on the ground, you also have roles that New Delhi could play. Beijing, Pyongyang, South um, Seoul, and Tokyo. These are countries that we don't think about in the West, but we're over-invested. We've committed to a position, and obviously countries like Belarus and Kyrgyzstan have committed to a pro-Russian position. Now, neutral countries are the ones who will, who will have a better role in brokering a, a solution. I'm joined on the line by Irvin Student, who is editor-in-chief of Global Brief magazine and president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions. Irvin, also wanted to ask you about the other major headline from the weekend, which was Vladimir Putin putting nuclear forces on high alert. Uh, what do we make of that? What should we take from that? I think it's part of the escalation that I that I mentioned. That is the swift um, system sanctions and other economic sanctions, current and threatened, will be interpreted by the Russians as as escalation. So they will, in turn, escalate. So they, they you 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 corner us on the chessboard one way, and we will corner you in another area. I, I'm pretty sure the Russians don't intend to use uh, a nuclear weapon, but Articulating the threat is certainly part of, of strategy, as it as it was even when Donald Trump uh, threatened to use nuclear force against North Korea several years ago as part of a negotiating strategy to up the psychological pressure on both us here in the West and on and on Ukraine as it resists in Kiev. All right, I know the UN Security Council, they have approved an emergency uh, session in their General Assembly uh, today concerning this uh, invasion. What specifically are you watching for, Irvin, in the next uh, day or so here? Everything will depend not on the UN Security Council, although it's important that all the senior countries continue to speak, continue to speak, that we continue to speak as well. Um, I'll be watching for the, the balance of forces, the the battle configurations um, within Kiev. Now, uh, the Ukrainians have very forcefully repelled attacks, but Russia is escalating. And humanitarian situations are degrading for, for people on, on the ground. So it's a be a siege dynamic for the foreseeable future. Could go for a week, Google for months. If it goes for months, then the domestic situation within, within Russia will begin to deteriorate and we in the West will also radicalize, and uh, Ukraine's uh, future will not be uh, bright, but so too will, will Russia's not be bright. What we must appreciate in the West is that um, obviously there's great sympathy for Ukraine and, and a lot of pride in, a, in, a, in, a, in an independent Ukrainian state that is strong and a going concern, but in the end, settlement uh, that is in our interest in the West as well is one where a uh, strong Ukraine 
lives side by side with a, with a Russia that doesn't collapse. Because if Russia collapses, even after Putin, then it takes Ukraine with it. We might smile for a moment, but then we we'll all suffer. On the other hand, if Ukraine collapses, it could also take parts of Russia with it. So they actually have a symbiotic relationship, even if independent, much like uh, Canada and the United States. All right. Well, listen, it goes without saying this is a rapidly changing and developing situation. Irvin, I really appreciate the time with us on this Monday. Thanks so much for helping us all make some sense of it. Real pleasure. Thanks. Thank you. Irvin Student is editor-in-chief of Global Brief Magazine and president of the Institute for 21st Century Questions. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.